my name is Karen. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic and uh, your speaker for today. And I want to thank your very organized inner group for being organized enough to look on the region two speaker list. I think I've been on that thing for maybe 20 years and this is, I, I can count how many times I've been called on it and actually two of them have been in the pandemic and I've been able to travel to a couple different meetings with the pandemic. Um, I have to say I am really missing my in-person community of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, Zoom has been a lifesaver. Um, I've been, could somebody mute themselves? There's noise, okay, better. I've been a um, active, participating, mostly abstaining member of Overeaters Anonymous. Yeah, sorry, there's someone's uh, video, okay. Um, of Overeaters Anonymous, I've been a member here since March of 1985. And, um, I'm still on fire for Overeaters Anonymous. Um, it still saves my life every day. So um, I can do a little bit of what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. I'm kind of old fashioned. I came into Overeaters Anonymous in the San Fernando Valley, which I would call the other valley uh, from you guys. And, um, and I'm very grateful that I came in, you know, Overeaters Anonymous was started in Los Angeles County, and um, and by the time I got there in 1985, it was strong and mature, and there were old timers there to welcome me and to extend their hands. And so most of my foundation that I have in Overeaters Anonymous uh, was given to me from that Reseda Darby Clubhouse. It doesn't exist anymore, uh, but a woman named Maxine was the secretary at that time. I know she's still around too. Um, she wouldn't know me if I walked in a room, but you know, for me, the people that were here when I got here is just really vivid for me. I came in desperate, uh, suicid suicidally depressed, and with the knowledge that I could not stop eating, but desperately trying to push that away because what do you do? with the idea that you know you can't stop eating without everything that we do in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, so um, I came to, I, I, just a little bit about my background. Um, I don't remember ever being normal with food. Don't know if I was born with it. I know I was born into a house, a household that's very eating disordered. My mother is um, eeny weeny, itty bitty. She will sacrifice eating regular food for eating chocolate. And I kid you not, last week at, in her 80s, uh, she just kept going on and on about how much she hates her body. And I finally just said to her mom, we all got to accept. I said, I'm working hard on this myself and I can't hear it anymore. Um, and, you know, again, you know, not nice to speak ill of my mom, although I probably will at some point again. But um, I, I, I just hope to God that when I'm in my 80s, I have a little bit more self-acceptance and love. I, I can't I can't live in that level of self-hate now, you know, at age 57. My father, who has passed, was my eating buddy. And he had a gastric bypass at age 65. And it did him good. He lost his weight. He reversed the diabetes. He didn't reverse the sleep apnea. And he was in horrible health in the latter part of his life. But he was thin. And to be honest with you, that was all that really mattered to him. He suffered a lot from complications of the gastric bypass. I don't think that any of that mattered to him. I think what mattered to him is what he weighed and how he looked. So I was kind of raised in this very extreme household with eating with my dad 
dad and my mother, you know, hiding binge food from us. And it, it was, it, let's just say it was not a normal household around food. And I don't think I ever really learned to eat in a proper way. I, I never learned eating habits. Um, my mother had kind of given up cooking for us, which I think was her preference anyway. So by the time I was in grade school, it was kind of catch as catch can. And by the time I got to Overeaters Anonymous, I had no idea how to feed myself at all. Um, I became bulimic uh, in my early teens. The little girl across the street over a summer had lost a lot of weight. She no longer looked pudgy. And I asked her how she did it, and she taught me how to vomit. Um, that is not the bulk of my story. The bulk of my story is actually severe laxative and exercise abuse. I'm not a very good vomiter. When I came into um, Overeaters Anonymous in 1985, there was a actually a faction called Vom Vomiters Anonymous. And as you can imagine, that was fairly short-lived because who would really want to, it's bad enough to be an Overeaters Anonymous, but Vomiters Anonymous was not did not that faction didn't last very long and actually when i came in as a bulimic the inner you know the region two or the powers that be were debating on whether or not to have bulimics and anorexics in the group um, it was not tremendously welcoming for that and there were very few people qualifying as bulimics and the good news is as i had heard the traditions which is basically that the only desire to be here is um, a desire to stop eating compulsively and i knew you couldn't kick me out so I continued to come and I continued to uh, admit at group level that I'm also bulimic. I believe I'm bulimic because I'm a compulsive overeater. I stuff my feelings down and then I purge them out. So just for qualification's sake, I have not had to purge in 36 years. I am, I am an exerciser. I don't compulsively exercise, but I've been kind of a recreational athlete in the course of my time here. I love bicycle riding. I like to do a lot of things. It's part of my mental health, but I've not abused myself with exercise in many, many years. And this current date of abstinence um, dates from about 2000, October 2012. I have had long, long stretches of abstinence, and it was punctuated by a couple times of kind of falling face down in the food. The good news is not for very long. I never stopped coming. I always had a sponsor and I did my best to tell the truth. The last time I, uh, I over ate in about 2012, I was at a work meeting and I don't know why they feel the need to put sweets in front of you at three o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody needs them, but I, you know, they put it down in front of me and I was in a super vulnerable spot and I had no effective mental defense. That was three o'clock. By six o'clock, I was in a meeting and crying, and I didn't tell them the truth about what had happened that day that I had overeaten, but I did go to that meeting and did my best to get back on the beam right away. So I've never had to be I'm about 40 pounds down from where I am when I came in. So in 36 years, I haven't had to go on a diet. I haven't had to be obese. I haven't had to hurt myself with food. Um, what else haven't I had to do? And, and I've grown and changed and gotten healthy. So that's kind of uh, the beginnings and, and how I got here. I was introduced to uh, AA as a, uh, by a girlfriend. And uh, two weeks later, I found myself in an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. I have no idea how I got here. I don't remember anyone telling me about it. I don't remember reading about it. For those of you who are old enough to have used the yellow pages, I think they still exist. I might have looked something up, but um, 
I, I just think, you know, like a magnet, I was drawn here, you know, because I am a compulsive overeater. And that is my first step. My first step is I am a compulsive overeater. I am not normal with food and I will never be normal with food. And today that's okay with me. You know, I was angry about having an eating disorder, about being a compulsive overeater for a long time. But simultaneously with having to admit these things, you guys showed me how to recover. So I'm less resentful about it. I, it's still a lot of work for me. And I'm also somebody, although I experience uh, freedom from food, the disease walks alongside me really closely. I have to be really, really vigilant about my recovery. Um, I have a lot of joy, but I also got to say what goes in my mouth really affects me. And so I eat three times a day. I don't eat sugar. I don't have a very stringent abstinence, but I, um, I, I do need, you know, there, I can't, I can't mess around a whole lot. You know, when, when the food boundaries get bad or I'm eating things that I don't feel good about, it, it affects my spiritual condition. And that's why I'm a member of Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I, I'm, I, this, this disease is pervasive for me. It affect, affects every aspect of my life. So um, I got here and all you guys would say was keep coming back. And I kind of felt like I was being patted on the head. Keep coming back, keep coming back, or maybe on the back. And it didn't matter because it, I still needed to hear it. And to be honest with you, I still need to hear it. You know, welcome if you guys are new. Um, I haven't even really talked much about kind of the actual eating that got me here. And I can do that because I think if you're new, you may need to hear it. And I know that when I got here, people told the truth about what they did with food. And, and that's one of the things that made me stay. So um, I talked about being bulimic a little bit, but uh, right prior to getting here, I was going from fast food place to fast food place in my car and eating in my car and nothing ever lasted long enough. The bag was ripped open and, you know, I was eating in my car a lot. And I don't tell this story all that often, but I will tell you that I used to make my little brothers, I came in at, at age 20 and I used to make my little brothers who are six and four years younger than I am go into places and buy food for me and they remember it believe it or not because it was one of the things I needed to make amends for uh, when I got to the ninth step which was just to say because I remember them not wanting to you know I, I couldn't go into the same Baskin Robbins multiple nights in a row so I, if they wanted to do anything in a car I would make them go in and buy food for me. And it was when I first came in and I did that inventory, it was a tremendous source of shame for me. I felt horrible about it. And I think it was just kind of dovetailing with the pain of my compulsive overeating, the effect it had on my brother and the shame that um, living in a family like I come from had, had left me with. So I kept coming back to meetings. You said, keep coming back. And I did keep coming back. Somewhere within my first 30 days, I got a sponsor and I started telling them what I was going to eat. Um, came to find out that sponsor had actually never worked the 12 steps. She was willing to take my food, but she said, I can't help you do an inventory. I've never done one. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know that was an option. You know, if you're new, look for people who have kind of, who, who share about what they've done with the steps, because this is the basis of the program and we call it a three-legged stool right emotional physical and spiritual the physical part you can definitely get some help with but for me the spiritual part has led the way with everything else that i've needed to do here so um beverly i think she's still around um i don't know if she's ever done an inventory again but she couldn't help me with the steps and uh, the next 
couple meetings I went to, there's this woman who got up. Her name was Patty A. She had lost 100 pounds. Um, it, was at, it was at a meeting in the San Fernando Valley, and she got up and she spoke, and she was still big. She still probably had another 100 to lose. She spoke a mile a minute. She was beat-faced, red, sweating, and angry. She was not like the most welcoming person. At, at the end of the meeting, I walked up and said, would you sponsor me? I probably was crying because I cried a lot in the beginning. Um, and I cried a lot from relief, just to let you know. I mean, I, I was in a lot of pain, but I, I, you know, hearing the truth here and feeling understood, feeling understood about what it was like not to be able to stop eating provided me with a lot of relief and probably sent me on the path of recovery. Anyway, Patty snarled at me. She gave me her phone number and said, call me. And uh, it took me a few days, but I, I called her on, on a Friday night and um, I kept her on the phone for about an hour and a half. I was crying. Um, and at one point she said, I got to eat dinner, talk to my husband. And she handed the phone to her husband, who was not in the program, who I think then listened to me for a little while longer. And he's still my friend today. Patty has passed, but uh, he's still my friend, uh, not in great touch with him, but he was also a support in my recovery through many years, even though he never was in the program. So Patty was the one who said, meet me. And we met at Biff's coffee shop in Reseda. She took out the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. She showed me it was a basic text. She said, we read from this, we write on this, and we learn what's in this book. And I'm going to teach you what's in this book so that when you're in trouble, you know where to look. And she did that. And she met me week after week. Um, reading and writing. And I have no idea what gave me that willingness. Um, you know, if you're new, this is just my story. You know, come, show up, you know, share if you can, don't share if you can't. But I, I, I dove in and I think I dove in because I was in a lot of pain. I, I, you know, it's just in so much pain and wanted some relief. Um, I did my inventory, my first inventory with her, and I did as thorough a job as I possibly could. I um, didn't know I had resentments when I came in. I didn't know I had feelings, to be honest with you. I had stuffed down everything for so long that it was all kind of muddy. Uh, you know, I was in pain, but I couldn't have told you what went on inside of me at all. And um, so we did this inventory and we we're sitting there and, and just to give you another taste of what Patty was like, we were at a booth and somebody was sitting next to us and I'm turning page after page, reading, probably crying. And I said, I think the people next to us can hear me. And she said, that's okay. Maybe they need to hear you. And she kept going, you know, and made me keep going. And in addition to that, at one point in that first inventory, she said, is this the same thing? We're looking for patterns here. If that's the same thing, turn the page. And she almost turned the pages for me and kept going. But I did find that there were patterns to my life. And in the big book, it talks about we sometimes set those the ball rolling ourselves. And that's what I learned. And that was the beginning for me of being able to really understand um, my part in in what was happening in my life and the beginning of me being able to make some changes. So um, Patty was only my sponsor for about two years. She left the program. I watched her. She remained my friend. I watched her gain back 150 pounds and almost die from this disease. Um, so uh, that's a, you know, it's always a, a lesson for me. And why have I stayed? I, I think because I remain a bit desperate. You know, I, I still am desperate for recovery in the best possible way. 
Um, I've always, you know, I've then gone on and gotten other sponsors, some of whom who have lasted a short period of time, but have contributed. I was blessed to have a sponsor for 18 years named Frances. She also passed at age 94 and she, she became a, close family to me is really who she came because my family still doesn't really know how to be family. They don't really act right. So I, I they are my family and I'm reconciled with them in a, in a very nice way. Thanks, Sandy. I got it. I'm, I'm not going to take too much more time. And um, my current sponsor, when Frances got cancer and I knew she was going to pass, I got this next sponsor uh, who I've been working with since about 2012 as well. And I just keep coming back. And, and to bring it a, a little bit more current, I really like the reading from For Today that we did. My recovery, probably one of the hallmarks of my recovery is letting go of old ideas. And I think I'll make that the topic, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of letting go. It's been letting go of the food uh, other than to eat in a healthful manner. It's been letting go of old ideas about myself. I think Becky and I were talking about that even just before the meeting. Shocking to me just how much I can limit myself, you know, and, and I, I have ideas about myself. And it's like, where does that come from? And no one's imposing it on you, you know? Um, I think some of the other kind of hallmarks, maybe they're related to letting go um, of, of things is I can let people get close to me. And that really started for me sitting in a circle at Overeaters Anonymous. And I didn't want you to get too close to me. I really like hated when you came up and hugged me. But because the emotion of what was happening in the room was enough for me, it was all I could stand. But since then, and getting a sponsor and learning to have some friends, um, I've learned to have relationships. Um, I have a great marriage, got married at 50. Not bad, you know. He, he's a really, really good man. Uh, he's actually one of the most loving people I know. He knows how to come forward. He never backs away when we're having a tough time. He stands still. I have, on the other hand, have the desire to both push and lash out. I don't do it as much as I did, but I, I'm, I'm getting much, much better. Um, and the other thing, and I, and maybe this speaks a little bit more to the newcomers, is one of the things that was killing me prior to come here is this thought of that life would begin at some other time. That when I could, when I was thin, life would begin. When this happened, I don't do any of that anymore. It, it's all about today. Um, I abstain today only, and I live fully today. And part of that is uh, showing up. You, you, what you asking me to speak today is going to, you know, keep me on the path for quite some time, you know what I mean? It, it really just is a shot in the arm to be here with y'all today. And um, I think I'll wrap up with that. So thank you.